Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together, shall we? <laughs> Someone just told me marriage is really hard. I said, yes, that's why I'll always have a job. Praise God. Anyway, <laughs> let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith, who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us, and welcome to our campuses in Stevens Point and Appleton as well. Good morning to you guys, and hope the service is meaningful for you so far. Uh, last Sunday, I brought a message uh, kind of jumping off of what Greg Stubbe had shared with us on our Patriotic Sunday about service and stuff and uh, for all our vets and things. And I know a lot of people were feeling really discouraged. A lot of vets and stuff are feeling discouraged today because they feel because of political decisions today that a lot of the blood, sweat, and tears that they had put in is uh, being washed away and that it was all for nothing. And I was sharing the message last week that good is never for nothing. Your good, the good that you do, is never erased just because whatever you're doing at the end ends in failure. It is what it is. The road you might be on might be a dead end. You won't even know until you get to the end. But the good that you do along, well, that's why you need to just enjoy life as you're going. Enjoy the journey and, uh, and do good along the way because our good will be standing for eternity. So, and not to be discouraged by that. And, and some people were saying, well, you know, you don't know, you know, my mistakes and my failures in life. And I thought, you know, I'm going to do a series of messages today, starting today and for the next several uh, weeks, uh, called Losers of the Bible. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to show you some of the people that you're all very familiar with by name and some of these great historical figures and spiritual figures in life. And we're going to take a look at their lives. You'll be stunned at what incredible losers a lot of these guys were. The mistakes they made, the fallbacks. You have no idea. I know sometimes you think, gee, my life is so bad. I've done dumb things. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too fat. I'm too bald. Whatever the deal is. Uh, and you think, oh, I can't. You can't. In all of life, you're hearing those words in your head. I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. Some is because of the way a lot of y'all were raised. I don't know. I always feel bad when I hear people tell me this. And I would say most of the people I talk to tell me that this was the case, which is this. That as they were being raised, their parents or grandparents or uncle, the people closest to them, constantly told them, you can't do it. You can't do that. You're a failure. You'll always be a failure. Nothing but a disappointment. I think that's a terrible thing. Never do that to your children. Okay? That tends to be, I know a lot of you try to succeed in life, but the whole time you're trying to succeed, you keep hearing these words in your head. 
You can't do it. You're a loser. You're a failure. My parents were highly dysfunctional. <laughs> Crazy people. They are no longer with us. But, uh, uh, but for all their faults, the one thing you got to say about my mom, my mom and all my brothers and sisters will tell you this, they were, uh, she was amazing at drilling into us that we could do anything. You can do anything. She told us all our lives, you can do anything because you're a gunger. You can do anything because you're a gunger. I was at least 35 before I realized that didn't mean anything. But all of my life, and I've said this many times before, all of my life when I've been at my lowest and I felt like giving up, all I could hear in my head was the voice of my mother saying, you can do anything. Get up. Go. Move. And I'm very grateful for that. I feel very sad for people who at their greatest times in life, all they hear are the voices of those who told them, you can't do it. And then life basically underscores that for you because what you had hoped to do failed, mistakes you had made, different things, and you get this sense of you cannot succeed. Uh, I want to take a look uh, as our Losers of the Bible series, and we're going to start uh, with Moses. Now, Moses is one of the greatest figures in the history of mankind. If you were to ask people to list, you know, who are like the 10 greatest men of all time, uh, almost ultimately, Moses would show up in that list, some at the very top, somewhere down at the bottom, whatever, but it almost always pops up. Moses was known as the great lawgiver. It's a statue or engravings of Moses on the top of the Supreme Court, you know. Uh, he was the great lawgiver, and uh, he changed the history of mankind, and God used him in an incredible way. But he was a man who was without question a loser, and I want you to see what an incredible loser he was before he finally became successful in his life. Now, we're going to pick it up at Exodus, the second chapter. I'm going to read through this. The context here now is Israel, the, land, the, the nation of Israel, the Jews, the Hebrews, uh, were in Egypt. They had gone there following Joseph. Uh, Joseph came in and Joseph wound up, wound up being the second most powerful man in the world in, in Egypt. And the Jews were greatly blessed while he was there. Well, eventually he dies and, Mo, and the Pharaoh and stuff that had looked favorably upon them all had died New pharaohs came along and then wound up enslaving the entire nation. These were the slaves who built the pyramids and all this stuff in Egypt. Uh, they didn't have a choice. For 400 years, they uh, were free labor to the Egyptians. And they oppressed them greatly. Now, one of the things, if you are a slave-driven culture, the more slaves you have, the more money it is for you, right? You want more. So the more children they would have, the better it would be for them. But they were populating at such an accelerated rate. And they were, I mean, they were popping them up one right after the other. It was, it was wild. Uh, in fact, they tell us of, of uh, these women would be nine months pregnant working in the field, uh, come in, give birth, and then afterwards go back out in the field. That's one strong mama. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these were some tough chicks. Uh, but they were growing at such an accelerated rate, uh, the Pharaoh and those who were in charge of all these people became fearful and said, well, if they get too big, it'll become a problem. So they started basically a process of extermination. A terrible thing where the first 
born boys would be taken and killed and they were knocking off the boys trying to hold down the population, like, much like you would do for like the deer population or something else like that. You'd increase the, the, the buck tags and whatever, trying to hold down the population. Well, that's what they were doing to these people, and it was a horrible thing. So this is the context and where we're going to pick up the account. Now, in uh, Exodus, the second chapter, verse 2. I'm sorry, uh, verse 1. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Uh, she'd already had s- s- several children by this time. We find that a little bit later. But, uh, so he gives birth to this boy. When she sees that he's such a fine child, she hid him for three months. Why? Because now this new policy. Find out new bo- boys are being born. You know, they would kill them. So when she could hide him no longer, she, she hid him for like three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch so it would float. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Now, we don't know what she was thinking. I don't know what she was thinking. How is this a win? We know that if they find out they're going to kill the child, how is you sticking the child on his own as a baby floating in the river? How is that a win? Uh, We don't know. We have to believe that God had put this in her heart to do as an act of desperation to save his life. How would one would even think he'd be saved doing this? But it turns out it actually does save his life. Uh, so she puts him in this floating little basket in the Nile and his sister, so he had an older sister uh, that's how we know she had other children uh, stood at a distance to see what would happen we also know that he had a brother named Aaron which comes later in the story, so there were other ones uh, anyway, so Pharaoh's daughter goes down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it she opens it up and in it sees the baby well of course he's crying she feels sorry for him and thinks, can I keep it, can I keep it, can I keep it? You know, like a little puppy or something. And, but she recognizes right away, this is one of the Hebrew babies. They knew who it was. She knew right away uh, who he was. And as far as we know, this was never hidden from Moses. All of his life, he was aware that he was a Hebrew, but he was adopted. Okay, just like someone from another you know, race or something is being adopted uh, by someone in this country. Uh, you know who you are, but yet legally and stuff, you're part of this, this new family. So anyway, uh, so the, the sister's watching this and she's, oh, look at the baby, what are we going to do? So the sister runs up and asks Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? And she goes, yeah, great idea, go do it. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Well, that's pretty cool. So Pharaoh's daughter says to the mother, will you take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you? So there's a win. Okay, so what turned out to be horrible right off the bat now, not only does she get to keep the baby for a while and nurse it and and nurture it and enjoy the child, uh, she's being paid to do so. So big win for her. But eventually, the big hard step, verse 10, when the child grew older, she had to take him to Pharaoh's daughter and she became, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So it was actually... Pharaoh's daughter, who names him Moses. I don't know what the, what the mother had originally called him. And so he's known as Moses. Now, that's a very tough thing as this, how old is he? I don't know, three years old, four years old at this point. Now she gives him back to this woman. You say, well, I could never do that. Well, remember, the alternative is death. Okay, now if you're faced, your child facing death or being adopted by the richest family in the world you pretty much vote for the richest family in the world. So as painful as it was, 
It was the only alternative, and it was a big win, certainly for his life. So we'll go to the very next verse. The very next verse says, now one day after Moses had grown up. Now I've told you this many times. People say the Bible is a book of stories. It's not stories. If there's stories, these are the worst storytellers on earth. Because a story tells you details and facts and emotions and stuff. These Bibles reads more like a police report than stories. Okay? Just the facts, ma'am. All right? Bam, bam, bam. They would just tell you. because It's frustrating to me because I'd like to know more details. What's going on? Right? But they just kept it to the facts. So, one day after Moses had grown up, how old would you think that would be? 18, 21. He's grown up. How old is this guy? Well, we find out from another part of the Bible that he's 40 years old. That's a big jump in the story. The dude's 40. So it's not like, you know, you see, you know, in the movies, and stuff, he's this young guy. Hey, guys. You know, the Disney film Moses. Hey, Moses. He's 40 years old. And he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He knew who he was. Obviously, he lived a life of great privilege. He knew he was part of that cult, that uh, race, culture, whatever, and he looks at them and he could see them suffering and stuff. Well, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Well, looking this way and that, so he's checking to see if anybody's watching. He's so enraged, he kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. Now, he thinks he's got away with something because something in his heart wants to protect his people. Well, of course, we know what he becomes eventually, so it's certainly consistent. Oftentimes, God will put desires in our hearts that actually takes years before it even makes sense to us. I know that was true in my life. And so here's Moses and he's trying to help things out. Kills this guy protecting the one Egyptian. Uh, but now um, he, he kills the guy, hides him. He thinks he's gotten away with it. Well, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting each other. Well, this is frustrating. The whole world's against you guys. You're slaves. Why are you going at each other? So he asked the one in the wrong who was starting the problem. He said, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Well, Moses freaks because he thought no one saw. And then he thought, what I did must have become known. Well, then Pharaoh finds out, puts out an arrest warrant for him. They're going to kill Moses because of the death penalty. You can't kill people. So here's, here's this. He tries to kill Moses. Then Moses runs for his life. He flee, flees from Pharaoh and goes to live in the land of Midian. So he's running. He gets out there and he sits down by this well. Okay. Ugh. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came to draw water and to fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Well, some other shepherds come along and drove them away. Go away, you stupid chicks. We want the water. And the chicks can't do anything because these guys are big bullies and they push away. Well, Moses, he gets up and comes through the fence and he rescues them and he takes care of watering the flock. So Moses, he's a good guy. Again, he's a man who has lived for 40 years. That's a long time, people. In great comfort part of the richest family, the most powerful family in the world at that time. He's used to being a man. You know, and with some of that comes a great deal of confidence. Sometimes it turns into arrogance. Clearly he was strong and skilled and had no problem taking out this guy who was trying to hurt, you know, one of his people. So he gets up right away and he's defending these chicks from these bullies. 
So anyway, the girls return to their dad, and the dad says, why have you come back so early? And they said, well, this Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. Now, they looked at him as an Egyptian. Why? He looked like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. He was dressed like an Egyptian. He might have even walked like an Egyptian. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he had the whole thing going for him. <laughs> yeah, I had to do that, okay? So, everything about him is just like anybody of any race or whatever. Here, race is an American. Sounds, talk, and we become culturally. It's all, you know, you might be German or whatever, but you're an American. This guy, even though he was of the Jewish descent, was for all practical purposes an Egyptian. And uh, so this Egyptian comes, he rescues us, and he drew water for us and watered the flock. Well, dad says, well, where is he? You know, go get him. I got seven daughters to dump here. I got to move these, this product along. So <laughs> find him. <laughs> Give him something to eat. You know, obviously he's a nice guy. So they go find Moses. Moses agrees to stay with him, and he gives his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Now, I don't know if he did it right away. Hey, thanks for the water. Here's a daughter. I, I don't know what the deal was or if it took a little bit of time. Again, they don't tell us. Terrible storytellers, all right? But so he marries this chick and he gives birth to a son and Moses names him Gershom saying, I become a foreigner in a foreign land. Well, during that long period now, so he's there for a long time. You know how long he's there? 40 more years. For 40 years. He goes from being in a life of absolute comfort and power and wealth to being a goat herder on the backside of the desert for 40 years. During that long period, then the king of Egypt dies. And the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out in their cry for help because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. All right, next chapter. Now Moses was tending the flock of, Jer of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now, what was Moses doing? Taking care of goats. Okay, his whole life was, eh, bah, bah. that's all he's doing. And whose goats were they? The father-in-law. If life didn't suck enough, the guy for 40 years is still working for the old man. So he doesn't even have his own goats. He's still taking care of the old man's goats. 40 years of this. As I warned you last week, don't let life suck the life out of you. And it was, and it's hard not to. And life was sucking the life out of Moses. This man who was filled with great confidence, great skill, willing to stand up and defend, knowing I can do anything, gets himself in trouble, defends the girls when he gets there. This man, 40 years later, is a different man. Because life can suck the life out of you. Anyway, it says that uh, he's tending this flock of the father-in-law. He leads the flock to the far side of the wilderness. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses, all he knows is he sees this bush on fire, but it's not burning up. So he thinks, I'm going to go over and see this. What is this? The bush doesn't burn up. When he, the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God calls to Moses from within the bush. 
So he goes over, he's looking at this bush, it's burning, but it's not burning, it's flame. And the bush talks to him and says, Moses, Moses. If I'm Moses, I'm dead right there, okay? Some bush starts talking to me, I have a heart attack, and I'm done. We don't know what happened. Again, they're lousy storytellers. I would, ah! But the the bush starts talking to him, and not only that, the bush knows his name. How creepy is this? (laughs) Moses, how do you know who I am, and why are you talking to me? So Moses finally says, here I am. And God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you're standing on is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, bunch of otherites. All ites were there. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians that are pressing them. So now go. Here's my solution. I, this is God, I, here's my answer. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, you have to put this in context. This is almighty God. And God says, I have an answer for them. The answer is you go. And Moses is telling God, you're wrong. Usually not a smart thing to do. Sorry, God. You're wrong, God. I'm not the guy. And God says, look, I will be with you. You have to understand, folks, you and God always make a majority. Say, well, it's just me. It's never just you. It's you and God. He says, I will be. When Almighty God shows up in person and says, I'm going to be with you, you should be pretty confident. It's like having Superman for your best friend. All right? But even then, Moses kept telling him, now you're wrong. I'm sorry. You're you're mistaken. I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. God, God keeps talking to him. God's starting to get really irritated with him. We don't see it yet. But you can imagine the insult at this point. If just someone of great power and authority in our country comes to you and says, and you're saying, ah, you're just, you know what you're talking about, that's insulting to them. If you were talking to the king of a nation and told him he didn't know what he was talking about, that might get you killed in some countries. Now you're doing this to almighty God. Sometimes we forget who God is. And Moses is basically dissing God. Why? Because he's so discouraged. He is so discouraged. The guy feels like he's a nothing, a zero. The Bible says Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. What's funny about that is Moses wrote that. (laughs) But it's not humble like we think of being, you know, Mark's the humblest guy I know, you know. He just meant he was a nothing. He was a nobody. He was a zero. He felt like another life had sucked the life out of him. And almighty God is having a hard time convincing him he can go. He said, listen, I'll tell you what to say. We pick it up in verse 10 in chapter 4. Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. I don't know how to talk. Neither in the past since you've spoken to, you, to, to me. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I, I, I can't talk. 
Now here's a guy who had been probably received the best education of the world at that time. He's so insecure at this point. Why? Because he's had nothing but 40 years of failure. 40 years of humiliation. 40 years of working for the old man taking care of his goats. And this at one time, one of the most highly educated men in the world said, I, I don't even know how to talk. The Lord goes on, he says, well, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses says to him again, sorry, send somebody else. And then the very next words, it says, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. God is getting ticked off. When you tick off God, that's a bad day for you. And as we go on to read, we won't read all of it. God actually, you don't hear this when you hear the story. God wants to kill Moses. He's so mad. I'm going to kill him. When you get so mad and God wants to kill you, that's a bad day. Moses' wife, God bless him, intercedes for him to God. Please don't kill this guy. And he starts to say, I can't do it. I can't talk. And then Moses, God says, well, look, you got your brother Aaron. See, that's how he, he knew who his brother was. So he had to know whose family was, even though he was adopted into this other family. And Aaron's a preacher. And preachers, as we know, never shut up so he can talk. So he'll do the talking for you. Now, you know how he finally, finally he goes. Absolutely insecure because life had sucked the life out of him. He had 40 years of failure. It had a big impact on him. You know how we see the movies and whether it's the animated version that Disney did or Cecil B. DeMille and Moses is standing there and, you know, he looks like one of the Duck Dynasty guys, right? Because he's like old geezer with, you know, the beard. He looked like Cy Robinson, you know, he's just the beard. Because how old is he? He's 80 years old. This is no spring chicken. He's this geezer. He comes along. He's standing. And in the movies, we see him standing with him and saying, let my people go. That's not what happened. Do you know who did all the talking? Aaron. Moses never said Jack. Doesn't make such a good movie that way. What's Moses doing? He's just standing there with a stick. Seriously. At some point, they had to think, who's the old guy? What's with the old guy with the stick? Aaron said, never mind, that's my boss. Listen, you need to do this. You need to do that. Let my people go. It's Aaron who does all the talking. And Moses stands there like a lump on a log. Why? Because life had sucked the life out of him. He had no confidence. But he starts to change. And he starts to get his confidence back. By the end, Moses is not only a great leader, he's a great statesman. The whole book of Deuteronomy, I don't know if you've ever read it. If you're having a hard time sleeping, let me recommend you try reading that. But it is his final speech. That whole book is him talking. You talk about long sermons. I don't know how long that go for hours. Blah, 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 blah. See, you know, it's like, hello, I thought you couldn't talk anymore. Anyway, this guy, he is talking his head off. He not only is a great leader, he's a great spokesperson. He's a great orator. He is one of the greatest men in the history of mankind. All from a man 
who was a shell of a man because life had sucked the life out of him. What's the purpose of this? You know, sometimes we feel, you know, I've made too many mistakes. I've gone the wrong direction. You know, I've failed. You know, I've done terrible things. It's too late for me. I'm too old. I'm too something. Why don't you share your faith with somebody? I can't. Why don't you get involved in the church? Oh, I can't. Why don't you become an usher? The uh, reason why some of you won't become, uh, I can't stand in front of people. Why don't, why don't you become a greeter? Oh, I, I can't say hi to people I don't know. Everything in your life is I can't, I can't, I can't. A lot of it's not even you. It's the voices you've heard all your life because life has sucked the life out of you. And you feel you can't do it or you've made some big mistakes and I, I can't be what God called me to be. I studied all my life to be this and I've been doing this stupid job for the last 20 years. I've done this, I've done that. A lot of people live depressed their whole lives, nothing but medication, self-medicating some of them, trying to struggle through. Why? Because life has sucked the life out of them. They're convinced they cannot because they have failed so miserably in the past. I want you to know this morning, even if you've been in the desert, surrounded by goats, working for somebody else for 40 years, and everything in your life has gone wrong, I want you to know it's never too late for you. God is never done with you. You and God always make a majority. And don't think I can't, because you can. Paul wrote, he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Say, Pastor, you don't know my story. I don't know, did you bury some dead guy in the sand? You know, if so, you're like Moses. Seriously, wait till you see some of the stories we're about to read. The life of David. David, man, that guy was a serious loser at times. Samson <laughs> was a massive loser. Many of these people that we look up and we think, and I can say their names and you know who they think, oh, these are great men of God. These guys sucked. The difference is they didn't stop. At some point, they quit listening to the words, I can't. and started listening to God who said, you can, because I'll be with you. I know what it's like. All of my life, from the youngest time when I first became a Christian at 16, I had it in my heart, oh, I was going to be a preacher. I'm going to talk to people. But 20, 30 years later, life had sucked the life out of me. Nobody would let me preach. <laughs> I was a little out of control. <laughs> I was too weird, too strange, you know. You can't be joking around all the time. That's inappropriate. That's inappropriate. Well, one guy said, I don't like you up there acting like a clown. I said, I'm not acting. <laughs> this is me. Well, you can't be that way. <laughs> Pushing 50 years of age and it finally dawns on me, man, I should be preaching. I should have been preaching. I... What am I going to do? I remember sending out my resumes all over Kingdom Come. Nobody wanted anything to do with me. I couldn't find a job anywhere. 
find a little group. And I was an associate pastor here. Green Bay. Some of you guys remembered me 15 years ago. You didn't care what I had to say back then either. <laughs> you did. Nobody did. I was just the piano player. Not wrong with being a piano player. I was just the piano player. The goofy guy. The funny guy. Finally, a group of sweethearts over in Stevens Point, Wisconsin said, hey, we're looking for a pastor. Come over here. And that's when I started becoming a pastor. Just a handful of years ago. I remember when I first started, I thought, man, it's too late for me. I've blown it. I've made big mistakes. I'm too old. I remember tears streaming down my face telling God, it's too late for me. I'm so sorry. I wasn't pity. I mean, I felt bad. I was apologizing to God. It's too late for me. But you know, it's never too late. Just a handful of years ago, nobody in the world cared who I was or what I had to say about anything. This isn't very long ago. People ask me, Pastor, you getting ready to retire? Are you kidding? I just finally started going. <laughs> Handful of years, nobody in the world cared who I was. Today I'm talking to people all over the world having more fun than should be legally allowed. It's never too late. At some point, you got to quit hearing the words of others, maybe your own words that says, I can't do it. And start to hear God's word that says, yes, you can. Because I'll be with you. Because you and God are always a majority. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, I know there's people listening to me right now. Different stages in life, some of them. They feel they've made too many mistakes. They've, uh, maybe they're too old. Too many responsibilities. Too much debt. Too much this. Too much everything. And they keep hearing voices in their head that says they can't do it. I pray today that Lord, you would help them to hear your words when you say that I'll be with you, which means you can. Fill them with hope. Help them, Lord, to step out of their comfort zones. Even though they might feel like Moses, very hesitant and dragging their feet along the way, Lord, help them to start taking those first steps. So to start fulfilling the dream and your purposes for them in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Amen.